Um, I'm going to pray for us. Father God, um, thank you that you have made yourself known. Uh, thank you for your uh, word, um, your life-giving word. And we just please soften our hearts by your spirit now as we hear uh, your powerful word read and as we hear it preached. Please um, change our hearts deeply for our, uh, for our good and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Corinne. Exodus 19, 1-6. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. As they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and, the Israel's, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on the covenant. Then out of all nations, you will be treasured, my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be my kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not misuse the, Lord, the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, neither your male or female servant, nor your animals or any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land of the the Lord is giving you, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. 
As Steve mentioned, we are uh, journeying through, we're in the middle of this series through Exodus this term. We're looking at the whole book of Exodus in the Old Testament, uh, and it's just an amazing story. Um, you, uh, some of us, I know, I've talked to a few people who've done this, uh, you've watched that movie, The Prince of Egypt, kind of to refresh yourself, it's a little, you know, like to get a cartoon version. Uh, anyone, are you familiar with this movie, The Prince of Egypt? It came out in the 1990s, um, and apparently at the time it was the most expensive uh, animated movie ever made, or something like that. Uh, anyway, it tells the story of Moses um, given to us, the account given to us in the Exodus uh, and the interesting thing about this, uh, the, the movie The Prince of Egypt is where it ends. So it ends, uh, the whole thing goes through, you know, what, all the things that we've been looking at, uh, Moses being called, um, him leading the Israelites out of Egypt, God sending the plagues through the Red Sea. But the whole, the, the whole thing actually climaxes with them coming through the Red Sea. And Moses and the Israelites standing on the other side of the sea, looking back, the army of the Egyptians being sort of swamped by the ocean. And the whole thing is like, this is the climax. This is the moment, the great moment of the Exodus. And Moses, uh, in the cartoon, Moses' wife looks at him and says, look at your people, Moses. They are free. Uh, look at your people, Moses. It's, it's spectacular. I mean, that is a spectacular moment in the book of Exodus. And we looked at that a few weeks ago. It's a moment of freedom. Finally, the, uh, the, their Egyptian slave masters who'd kept them in slavery for hundreds of years, finally, that was all over. They were saved. They were, their, their enemies were defeated. But what's really interesting, though, uh, in the book of Exodus, not the cartoon, uh, in the book of Exodus, that's not where the climax of the story is at all, actually. Uh, that, the movie kind of actually just finishes halfway through the story of the book of Exodus. There is actually something far greater that this book is about, something far more sensational, far more mind-blowing, something way bigger, even than all of that spectacular, those spectacular events in that first half of Exodus. See, the Exodus wasn't just about Moses' people having their slavery taken away. If this people were going to be really free, they needed something more than simply being taken out of Egypt. They needed to be brought to something. They needed to be brought to someone. They needed to be brought to God, into a relationship of trust and worship with the one who is the source of their freedom. Uh, and this is actually what you see in those early chapters of Exodus that we've already looked at. So back in Exodus chapter 3, when God met Moses, interestingly at this same mountain uh, that they're at that we're looking at today, God met Moses at this mountain, and he said to him then, back in 3 verse 12, he said, when you have brought the people out of Egypt... So as if, yes, that's going to happen, it's all spectacular, amazing, but what's it all driving to? You will worship God on this mountain. That's the, the big thing. <laughs> that's the climax. That's what everything's kind of driving towards. See, their freedom wasn't just a negative thing, freed from slavery. It had this bright, positive direction to it. They were freed for God, 
for worship. And that's a really important thing to remember, I think. Uh, maybe you're not a Christian, you kind of come with family perhaps today, you're try maybe you're trying to figure it out. Maybe you are a Christian, but maybe your faith has gone cold. Uh, maybe you're in the grip of some ongoing slavery of sin. God wants to free you and give you joy and life. But he knows that there is no true freedom apart from a relationship with him. A relationship of worship. A relationship of trust and obedience towards him. Because that's what you were made for. Um, early Christian leader Augustine put it like this. You awaken us to your delight in your praise. Oh, sorry, um, he's praying to God. He says, you awaken us to delight in your praise, for you made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it finds its place of rest in you. See what's going on here? So the, this whole account in Exodus is not just about a negative getting rid of slavery, it's about something even better than that, bringing this people to God, to relationship with Him. And one of the key words in the Bible to describe that relationship between God and His people is the word covenant, the word covenant. Um, uh, Steve mentioned it earlier, and we've actually looked at this right at the beginning of our series in Exodus, in the first week there. A covenant is a relationship based on binding promises. Uh, it, it's sort of like a contract, but that's a bit too impersonal. It's much more personal. Um, uh, it's about a relationship, not kind of just a, a job arrangement or something. Yeah, think of a marriage. A husband and wife bind themselves together for life through public promises. That's more the kind of thing in mind with this idea of a co covenant. Uh, covenants were common in the ancient world. And so... God used this kind of common thing that was around in the, in the ancient culture, something that people already understood, but he used it, this idea of a covenant to enter into this relationship with his people. Um, that's what we're seeing, actually, in these chapters of Exodus. It's a little bit ambitious, this term. Uh, we're not going through Exodus slowly. We're kind of doing it all in one hit, in one term. So we are covering uh, long chunks of text, but all of these chapters, from chapter 19 through to chapter 24, uh, that we're covering today, and obviously we can't go through in detail because of that, but all of them are about this establishing this covenant, this relationship based on binding promises. Uh, that's what we're seeing. God makes a covenant with this new nation. The famous Ten Commandments that we read through are like the terms of this covenant with Israel, the law that marks them out from the nations around them as God's special people. Uh, but as I said before, this idea of covenant is not actually new. And as we've been reading through, it's come up right at the beginning of Exodus, back in chapter 2. And we find that there's actually another covenant in the background that's driving everything that's happening through this whole, whole book. God's covenant with Abraham. Uh, it was because God remembered his covenant with Abraham, his promise to Abraham that he would make him a great nation, give him a land to live in, and through him and his seed, God's blessing would go to all the nations of the earth. That promise is driving everything that's happening. 
And, and here what you get is that covenant with Abraham sort of gets taken up and built on. Here it's no longer a relationship with one man and his family. Now it's a relationship with a whole nation, with a whole nation. Are you, okay, you with me here? I know it's a, sort of a little bit technical, but really important. The key thing to see right at the start is that God makes this covenant with Israel after, in chapter 19, not chapter 1. He makes this covenant with Israel after saving them by his grace. That's really important. So that's how the Ten Commandments start, actually. But they start by reminding us of that fact. So um, uh, Exodus 20, uh, the first couple of verses there, God spoke all these words. What's the first thing he says? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. See, what's go- I mean, that's a really important verse. Unfortunately, sometimes you see the Ten Commandments uh, in churches um, on sort of, um, sort of uh, replica tablets of wood, um, but usually they don't include this first verse, which I think is actually um, quite a shame because this actually sets the whole context of these commandments. Before getting to his covenant laws, God reminds the people that he is the Yahweh, their God, who has saved them by his grace. Uh, and we actually saw that back in chapter 19 that we, we looked at too, we started with. Uh, the whole nation, come, you know, they've come out of the Red Sea, they've gone through their grumblings in the wilderness that we looked at last week. Now they're finally there at the mountain, the whole nation gather uh, at Mount Sinai and Moses goes up to God who tells him in verse 3, this is what you are to, to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So right there, that is, this is foundational for everything that's happening here. God's salvation by his grace and by his grace alone. And then flowing out of that, Flowing out of that, then he calls this new nation to obedience. Uh, Verse 5, Now, if you fully obey me and keep my covenants, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. See what's going on here? Israel's obedience doesn't form the relationship between God and them. It flows out of it. Uh, these verses that are up on the screen there, they're not saying that, these, these aren't God saying, I'll hold off on being in relationship to you until you prove yourself. That's not what God's saying. Uh, those verses are just a description of the blessing that will come if Israel does keep this covenant. They'll stand out from the nations around them. They'll be a shining treasure in a dark world, showing forth the goodness of God among the nations. Friends, it's so important to see this. God didn't give Moses the Ten Commandments while Israel was still in Egypt and say, look, here are my laws. If you can manage to keep these, then I'll save you out of slavery. So have a crack, see how you go. If you're very, very good, then I'll enter into a relationship with you. That's not what's going on here. And I think it's important to kind of just mention that and talk about that a little bit because 
I think that is actually how many people think about what Christianity basically is about. Um, keeping a set of rules in order to be accepted by God. Um, I think lots of non-Christian people think that's basically what Christianity is about. There's a set of rules you have to keep, and then if you do it well enough, on balance, God might accept you at the end. Um, that can even creep into the way in which Christians think about their own life. Um, so the Bible basically becomes a handbook for life, full of good moral teachings and examples to follow. And if I do enough of the right things, God will look on balance at my life. And I just hope at the end, the good will outweigh the bad, right? That is not Christianity. That is not the teaching of the Bible. That is not how the God of the Bible relates to his people. And thank God for that. Thank God for that. Because our good never outweighs our bad. Not when we're weighed up against the holiness and perfection of God. The God of fire. Who Israel trembled before. The God who cannot look upon evil. God saves by his grace, and by his grace alone. That is the unshakable foundation for this covenant he's entering into here in Exodus 19 and 20 in these chapters. Not what Israel would do, but what God had done. That's the foundation. Okay, spend a bit of time on that. I think it's very important. But then, in thankful response to that... God gives Israel his good instruction to follow. Uh, and the Ten Commandments is the most famous bit of that instruction, and rightly so. But there's a whole set of other laws too. So you see them in um, the next few chapters, chapters 21 to 23. Uh, there's more sets of laws in the next few books of the Bible, 613 all up. Um, but these ten, these ten written on stone tablets... We're like the foundation, like the, kind of like a constitution marking out the shape of their life together. That those other laws kind of put flesh on the bones for Israel um, uh, in how they were to relate to God and to each other, kind of building out of these ten commandments. Uh, that's what you see, I think, in the next few chapters of Exodus, a whole bunch of case studies applying the ten commandments into like specific situations. So what do you do if your donkey falls down a hole? Um, what do you do if someone gets injured by their neighbor's bull? Uh, sort of putting the principles of the commandments into kind of into these case studies so that Israel would know how to live. So there is a lot of rules here. Um, I reckon, though, it's a little bit like learning a new board game. Anyone, anyone else a board gamer here? Like to kind of, uh, there's, there's a few of us I know out there. Uh, when you get a new board game, you get this really intimidating book of rules that comes with it. Um, and it looks intimidating and boring. Um, but actually, the rules are there to help you to play the game well. And if you get to know them, you're actually freed up to enjoy it, right? You're actually freed up. I, that's what God is doing for this new nation with all of these laws. Um, but when he gathers the people to himself at Sinai and makes this covenant with them, for the first time... God speaks. 
He speaks not just to Moses, the first time he speaks to the whole people. And, and when he's speaking to them, it is these ten commandments that he gives. The other laws he kind of gives later on directly to Moses, but he, he gives these ten commandments to the whole nation. And we don't have time to, go, uh, to do justice to them all or go into detail now. And I've been, as I've been sort of a little bit overwhelmed this week preparing for this, I thought we probably need a whole series on the Ten Commandments. So hopefully we can do that um, down the track. But notice a few broad things that do come out here. Notice how they start with God. Uh, the, first, the, the first four are really about the Israelites' relationship to God. Uh, and only after that, the rest, do they kind of move to their relationships with one another. That's a really important thing to notice. A re- an important principle, actually, that kind of weaves through the Bible. How you live down here flows out of who or what you worship up there. Um, so God wants to reshape his people's hearts so that they might worship him and him alone which will then flow out into right relationships with each other. Uh, Again, this is one of those areas where the Ten Commandments, I think, is a bit misunderstood. You ask anyone um, in the street who's not a Christian what uh, what the Ten Commandments are, if they have any knowledge of them, it's probably some of the last few, right? Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Um, Very unlikely would it be any of those first four commandments that are all about our relationship to God. Um, those, the last ones only make sense if you know... Do not murder only makes sense if you know the God of life. Do not steal. Don't lie. Only makes sense if you know the God who is the truth. Um, don't commit adultery. Only makes sense if you know the God who is faithful. They, see, they flow out of, the, of a relationship with God himself. So the first commandment puts it like this. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods. And that flows into the next from verse 4 about not making an image or bowing down to an idol to worship. See what's going on there? In a world of idols drawing our hearts away from the one true and living God. God wants to reorient his people's hearts, kind of to, 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 cha- to reorient our lives so we worship him alone. And that's not some ego trip for God, right? It's not, it's not some... This is actually what we need because anything else will fail you. Any other object of worship won't deliver what you're looking for. And what you worship there will flow out here. So you worship money or power or approval or pleasure. They'll not only consume and ultimately destroy you, they'll corrupt all of your relationships along here as well. But worship the God of grace who carries his people on eagles' wings and that will be life to you. That will be life to you, and it'll shape how you relate down here as well. Um, More quickly then, uh, let's keep sort of tracking through. This new nation were to bear God's name. Do not take the name of 
um, Yahweh in vain. Uh, that's partly um, how we use God's name, but uh, more, I think, fundamental than that, it's, it's about how, we, uh, how the people of Israel were to represent God to the world around them. They weren't to bear the name of Yahweh in a way that brought dishonor on Yahweh. Um, they were to be set apart from the world around them. Um, they were not to be driven by relentless demands um, and other kind of calls on them. They were to be shaped by God's pattern in creation, having that kind of weekly rhythm of rest every seventh day, entrusting themselves to God as their provider. Uh, they were to be a community that recognized and honored God's good design for their family. So they were to honor their parents. Um, those who were married to, were to be faithful to their spouses. They were to be a community of self-control where they didn't just give in to their urges uh, to, to kill or steal or lie. Um, the last commandment is really interesting, isn't it? Uh, you shall not covet. Uh, it's interesting because it's a commandment that can't be policed. Right? Like you, you, it, because it's, it has to do with what's going on in your heart. Um, they were commanded not to covet, uh, not to, to, be not, to be content, like not to be discontent with the life that God had given them, you know, looking at someone else and wishing you had their life. And I, why I point that out is I think it shows that this list, it's not actually meant to be just a, a checklist that you kind of work through. It goes much deeper than that. Um, by Jesus' time, many people had turned it into that kind of checklist. Yep, might be an angry person, but I haven't murdered anyone, so I'm all good. Um, th this last commandment shows that what God is doing here, it is, is really about the heart, about becoming a kind of person, a type of person. Jesus, and we'll look at this in a bit, um, but Jesus says these laws really are about love. Uh, the whole law and the prophets is summed up, Jesus says, in two commandments, to love God and to love your neighbour. These commandments are about forming the heart of this new nation to love God and to love each other more than they are just giving them a checklist to work through. And they're good. They're good. And it's no wonder why the psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. Um, this was a covenant of good instruction. But what becomes painfully apparent as you read on is that God's people's hearts were hard and they needed new hearts. This covenant of this gracious relationship God entered into, this good instruction he gave, this good instruction actually brought death. Not because it was wrong, but because the people were. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, flick over to chapter 24 of Exodus. Um, there are a few verses on the screen, but helpful to kind of have that in front of you. Um, so this is kind of the end of the section, where the whole section we're, we're trying to summarize today. Exodus 24, it shows Moses like formalizing this covenant between Yahweh and Israel, like making it kind of formal. And Israel started out very confidently. Look at verse 3. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. 
you kind of think oh, maybe they're overestimating things a little bit, but I mean, that's a good start, right? That's a good start. Uh, then you keep reading that chapter and there's a formal covenant ceremony. Um, it involves animals being sacrificed and sort of blood splashed around. So down in verse 7, Moses takes the book of the covenant and reads it to the people and they respond again. We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Then Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with these words. And what's going on there? So this is kind of the formalization, like the, 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 um, the making formal of this covenant arrangement. And they're getting splattered with blood. It's a really powerful way of showing just how serious what's going on here is. Of saying, look, we're all in. If we break this, we forfeit our lives, our blood is on our own hands. Um, all through Exodus, there's this tragedy that kind of unfolds, and we'll see uh, in a couple of weeks um, uh, the, the specific kind of example of this, but actually all through these first five books, as these laws are given, they're kind of in, interrupted, or there's, there's these other scenes that you get interspersed between these laws, and they're all scenes of failure, of Israel's failure to keep what they say that they will do. And it just keeps getting worse and worse as they get established and as they grow as a nation until finally God brings Israel's breaking of the covenant down on their own heads and they are led into exile, back into slavery after hundreds of years of ongoing faithlessness and disobedience to their God. But even then, God remained faithful. Uh, he made another covenant with King David, promising a faithful king to come from his line. Uh, and then through the prophet Jeremiah, he promised an, another covenant, a new covenant, but this time not written on stone tablets, but on human hearts. So Jeremiah 31, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. See what's going on there? It, 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 through this sad story, it became apparent the thing that was needed for this relationship to work was a new heart was a, new, a, a radical inward transformation. Well, how does this all relate to us, this side of Jesus, friends? Uh, Jesus also went up a mountain, but this time not to receive God's instruction to pass on, but himself to give it. Um, and we've looked at this in detail. We went through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 a couple of years ago. He says this towards the start of his Sermon on the Mount in 5 verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. 
See, Jesus doesn't start something new, some sort of parallel track to what God was doing uh, with the people of Israel. He came to bring fulfillments, to be the true and better and perfect covenant partner. Um, he perfectly fulfills the law, always trusting his Father and obeying him, always faithful in his heart. And you might remember this from when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount. What Jesus does, he's, he takes that covenant instruction given to Moses and he, he kind of reframes it around himself. And it's like he's playing the, a, a similar, the same song in a, in a much a higher key or something like that. Um, now God's people are not one nation, but people from every nation through faith in him. Now, the 613 laws of Moses no longer apply as like a legal code. That period of God's salvation history has come to its fulfillments. But the deeper reality that they were always pointing towards is here in Jesus. And that continues. And that's why the Old Testament law... Um, these, this body of 613 commands given to Israel, that's why it's no longer, even though it's no longer over us, it is still for us. It reveals God's character. It reveals our own sin. And it points us to its fulfillment in Jesus. And so what Jesus does in, as he goes on in this Sermon on the Mount, he takes laws like do not murder, and says, you have heard it said, do not murder, but I, but I say to you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister is, will be subject to judgment. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery in their heart. You see what he's doing. Jesus fulfills this covenant with Israel, and in doing so, he, he shows the deeper heart transformation that he is here to bring. He brings about the fulfillment of love for God and love for others. He reconnects us to God. We get his relationship with his Father, and in thankful response, he calls us and empowers us to be transformed in a much deeper way than the law of Moses could ever bring about um, he, Jesus brings a life of true worship, of devotion to God. He offers deep, permanent rest for your souls. He leads you in a life of cross-shaped humility and love and faithfulness and contentment. See, all those things that were kind of in seed form in this covenant at Sinai come to their fruition in him. In his new covenant, in the new relationship with God made possible not through the blood of bulls on the altar, but through the blood of Jesus on the cross. He has done this for us. And he is doing it in us. He's done it for us and he's doing it in us. Um, one of the amazing things about this new covenant is that God gives us his spirit. 
his own spirit to change our stony hearts and soften them and turn them into hearts of flesh so that we are now enabled to actually live in trusting obedience towards him, to make us children of his grace who can respond with thankful obedience to his word. I think this is all over the New Testament. The book of Hebrews takes that promise from Jeremiah about God's law now being written on our hearts and shows how it's fulfilled in Christ. Um, Paul in Romans 8, uh, which uh, you're actually going to look at in a few weeks' time with Paul Harrington coming down to preach, which, is, which will be great. But Paul in Romans 8 talks about how the law was, what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his son and his spirit, giving us his spirit. And it's, and it's the same pattern for us that we saw at the start, right? Our obedience comes after God's grace. Our obedience comes after and flows out. In Christ, he has carried us on eagle's wings out of our slavery into his kingdom of lights. And in thankful response, relying on his spirit, we, you, if you're in Christ, you are now called to obey him, to obey his word, to submit yourself to his teaching, the teaching of his apostles, who, who kind of show us what it looks like this side of the cross to live a life of love for God and for one another. Paul says something very interesting in his letter to the Galatians. Uh, he he talks about how now in Christ, um, when we love one another, when we bear one another's burdens, we actually fulfill what he calls the law of Christ. He says, bear one another's burdens, one another's burdens, and so fulfill the, this law of Christ. Well, friends, there's so much here. Um, isn't there? And maybe you feel a bit overwhelmed by the kind of fullness of what we've, we've looked at. Maybe you've heard God's word today, though, these good, righteous commandments. I mean, these are the Ten Commandments, right? Not the Ten Suggestions. Um, maybe you've heard them and thought, I can't stand up to these. Uh, they only condemn me. If that's not you, then it should be. You know? If it is you, then good. But don't stop there. Don't stop there. Remember that grace comes first and let that drive you again to the cross. Maybe even for the first time to the cross, to Jesus' sacrifice in your place, the perfect Passover lamb. Ask him, ask him to pour out his spirit on you, to soften your heart so that you would be more and more enabled to live in thankful obedience to him, so that you might be able to more and more seek to fulfill his law of love, love for God and love for one another as we live for him here. So let me pray that God might do that among us. Let's pray. Oh God, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? None of us. But with you, there is forgiveness. Thank you that in Christ, your forgiveness has been poured out on us in abundance. Thank you that he has come 
and in him we have this perfect covenant partner who fulfills your law perfectly for us and even in us by your spirit is shaping us more and more to be those who are obedient to your call to love you and to love one another. Give us grace, we pray, to know what that looks like for us here. Help us when we sin, when we fail, to keep coming back to your grace. Help us never to be content with ongoing sin in our lives, but to keep repenting and to keep seeking to obey you. And we thank you that we do that in the confidence of the gospel and in the power of your spirit. And so uh, we thank you for this covenant that you have entered into with us through Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.